Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What is going on, folks? Welcome to the program on this Wednesday as we sit on the eve of the start of the century tournament of champions. Really looking forward to golf being back again after the long winter break. It's been six weeks since the last official full field event on the PGA Tour at the RSM Classic just before Thanksgiving. For those of you watching us in America, we will be on across coast to coast in America. Big day for us this week on Saturday because it is the debut of the national television broadcast of the Fairways of Life show. We'll be airing on our affiliate networks from coast to coast and reaching, get this, 100 million homes a week with the broadcast. That is to augment what we're already doing here uh, on the Fairways of Life show day in and day out because we absolutely love what we do. And you can hear us on the radio side as well, digital radio. I think the best way to get us is on the Fairways of Life app. It's easy. It's free. It works all over the world. Or if you, on the audio side or on the television side, streaming television, it's everywhere. But I think the best place to grab it is right off our Fairways of Life YouTube channel. As to the national television broadcast, easiest way to find it is for me to tell you just to check your local listings. Uh, For example, we're on New England Sports Network, Nesson up in the Northeast. And I believe the premiere is at 9 a.m. Correct, Dom, on that that particular affiliate, 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. I believe that's correct, yes. Okay, thank you for confirming the same. 9 a.m. on Saturday morning on New England Sports Network uh, would be that just that one, but we're on all of them from coast to coast. Uh, Bally Sports, uh, uh, NBC Sports, uh, Root Sports up in the, in the Northwest, AT&T Sportsnet. I'm sure there's, there's some that I'm forgetting in the mixture as well. So check your local listings wherever you are, and when you get a chance, let us know what you think about the Fairways of Life show on television. Knowing what one thought was exactly the objective with John Rahm when he stepped up to the microphones. Uh, John was asked a number of different questions that I thought were compelling, including how he'll judge the success of this season following what was obviously a great season last year, including a major, talking about his golf fatigue. Remember yesterday's show, I was talking about uh, even when Colin Morikawa gave up a five-shot lead in Tiger's event in Albany, I kind of shrug my shoulders and go, it's not that the event wasn't important to the players when they're competing, they're competing, but I just think it was golf fatigue. I just think it was a very, very long season and mentally, physically, it was hard to keep the edge and he didn't. So uh, John Rahm was asked about that, about his golf fatigue, particularly following the Ryder Cup and what his decision process was in terms of playing, not playing slash. And the question was, did he watch Tiger at the PNC Championship? Here's John Rahm. Well, my, my goal is to beat it. Uh, yeah. My goal is always to do better each year. But, you know, it, it's hard to to say because uh, I've had such a consistent year and had one win, right? But I could tell you right now, I'll gladly take a bit more of inconsistency but have more than one win, right? So it all depends on how you categorize it. And I could tell you at the end of the year, uh, how I think about it, right? Uh, on the sport we, you know, we play on, it, it, it's hard to only count wins as successes just because, you know, it's a, turn, it's a sport where winning is, it's, 
you know, we all lack in that department except one man. <laughs> yeah. And you can't just think about a second place as a loss, right? So it, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to tell you ahead of time. But obviously, my goal and my mind is that I'm having a better year. I think, I mean, it's a bit of a backstory for that, right? Uh, it all started for me when we restarted after COVID. It was, you know, from June of what, 2020, right? It was a lot of golf to be played. I ended up getting two wins, uh, playing really good golf in majors, finished the Masters in November, and then right away when everybody has time off, I basically flip, change manufacturers, and work harder than I've ever worked, right? Uh, I did not want, you know, changing clubs to really be an excuse, so I, I did a lot of work with that play great during the year, and then from Memorial on happens what happened, right? I mean, I get my, my moments with COVID, became a dad, won a U.S. Open, played amazing golf, and then played a great Ryder Cup, right? So when that Ryder Cup was over, I was drained for the previous year and a half, not only the last four months, but the previous year and a half. And after I went to Spain and finished playing, I just, I needed the break. Um, not only for me, but also for my family, right? We all endured it together. And I just wanted the time to be a dad and, and be a husband and, and just be there for my, for my wife and my, and my son. And I'm really glad I did it because, you know, since he was born, we had help at night and Kelly had help, but I wasn't that help because I was competing and I had to sleep to be able to compete. So as soon as I got back home, I told her, you know, I want to be more involved. Obviously, I want to I wanna help out. and. For those two months, I really, really, really enjoyed having to wake up a couple times a night and take care of my son, be able to be there in the morning, give him a bath in the morning, feed him, give him a bath at night, just enjoy the simple things of parenthood. And knowing that basically once he starts going to school, I'm pretty much going to miss 50% of his life. I really wanted to cherish those moments. I know I'm not going to regret any time I decide to spend more time with my family. And that was what that decision was based on. And I couldn't be happier that I made that decision. Of course I watched. I'm a golf nut. Yeah. Like it's just, unless it's commercials, I'm watching golf. Like it's just for sure. Uh, it was really cool to see. It was really, really cool to see Tiger Woods, like we did a couple of years ago when they played that event as well, right? Oh, or last year, sorry. Um, just how cool it is that, to have that father-son experience. Not only the fact that Tiger came back from the car crash and is able to hit golf shots again and it looks like he will be playing on tour again, obviously not full-time, but he will be out here, which is wonderful for all of us. Just to see that connection between father and son and how they were playing golf, right? Just to see how much of Tiger is in Charlie. It's so cool to see. And which is inspiring for, for you know, other fathers out there. Hopefully I can be there in the future and be playing with Kepa and, and contending for that, that event. Um, it's, you know, I, I can't really explain it in any other words than saying uh, I'm happy for, for him, I'm happy for both of them. I'm happy that, you know, he has that connection with his son. I'm happy that they're enjoying it as much as they are and hoping the best future for Charlie. You know, uh, he's got a lot of talent, certainly a lot more talent than I did at the age of 12. So <laughs> uh, if he keeps working hard, which I'm sure he will, uh, I wouldn't doubt one second. We'll see him maybe one day sitting here. So, John Rahm. Excellent comments from John Rahman. And I think he spoke well, too, to the, to the idea of players ensuring that they can play at their best. It, I think from a fan's perspective, 
we love to see the big-name players as much as we possibly can see the big-name players play. However, in fairness to them, whether it's family life that uh, John was talking about with a new baby at home, et cetera, or whether it is just playing their best golf, there's a lot of pressure on today's players. I'm not asking anybody to cry in their beer about it, but there's a lot of pressure on today's players to play in different events. You've got the major championships, you've got the players, you've got world golf championships, you've got the race to Dubai, you've got the FedEx Cup playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are building up. And that's just, that doesn't even mention ones like uh, the Memorial Tournament hosted by Jack Nicklaus, a Tigers event, uh, Bay Hill, et cetera. There's a, there's a lot of pressure for players to play and do all the time. And the mental grind and the physical grind that goes into all of that by the time they get to an end of a calendar, not to mention the Olympics, et cetera, uh, they're tired. And, and it all, it, it can take its toll on, on a player. And a player only has so many years of being at their very, very pinnacle, being at their very, very best. Now, Jordan Spieth spoke to, he, he, he kind of touched on some of these subjects as well. But from Jordan's perspective, I guess it's about how he's dealing with all of it. And, there's an, and there was one part of this uh, this interview and this piece that that uh, John put together for us from his press conference that I thought was interesting slash a little bit concerning, I guess, if you will. And that was the idea of swing changes that he and, and Cameron are working on because if you're a Jordan Spieth fan, you hear that and don't you go, whoa, whoa, wasn't that the cause of, of the, the valleys we just marched through with you? the swing changes and the getting back into the form and the confidence of who you were, who you are uh, with the major championships that you won. So here, here's the, the subject matter that Jordan Spieth was addressing with the media. And it too, I think is really compelling. How soon after the win at Valero, did you think about coming back to Kapalua in paradise? How are you feeling about the swing changes that you've been working on with Cameron McCormick? What's the biggest key to trying to make these changes successful, I, I would add to that this time. As you look at previous new years, do you remember a time when you recognized that things were not going in the right direction? Here's the always thoughtful Jordan Spieth. It was something I thought about during the final round, to be honest, and I had to kind of throw it out of my head because I had thought about it a couple other times during um, previous events in the season when I had leads on Sunday and um, you know, it just adds a little extra to it when it's, you know, when you're not taking your focus off of just closing out a tournament. So uh, I, I was, uh, it was something I mentioned, I want to say, within minutes of, of winning at Valero. I feel really good. I feel like um, this was the first off season in quite a few years where uh, I felt like I was, I was very confident each day going out that what I was doing was, was pushing me to the better um, instead of going out, getting frustrated over a couple of days and trying something new, stuck with the exact same game plan um, and just tried to continue to, to sharpen it like I mentioned. And um, if I could get, you know, 1% better each day, uh, I, I went out with the idea that that, that was very um, feasible given um, I wouldn't be second-guessing anything and instead felt very confident in what I was working on and what the final product is. So, um you know, it's it's getting there. Um, it's it feels, you know, better than it has you know all year, uh, all last year, um, and it'll just be about kind of getting out and playing and and uh, making adjustments from there. Because you know, when you're on the range or 
you're playing at home, it's a little different than when you get, you know, the pins that we get tucked and just shots you got to trust and stuff like that. So, and then scoring, you know, just getting out and scoring. So, I'm excited to kind of get into this season and see if I can improve on last year. I'm honestly just trying to kind of get back to my DNA. I got away from that and, um, you know, swinging, swinging in front of my body and um, just there's a lot of specifics, I guess. But um, I'm really just kind of looking back to, um, you know, my DNA from, you know, high school, college, into the first few years on tour and, um, and really just trying to map stuff to there, recognizing that, you know, your body changes and, it's not, and not everything's going to overlap, but um, as far as the, the big components, really being able to get through the ball, committed through the ball, get um, get kind of my body working better where the, your body's hitting it and you're not relying as much on your hands. So um, it's really hard to play on the PGA Tour trying to rely on timing, and it's very hard to stay consistent for four rounds. And so last year I, I saw myself play a lot of tournaments where I was very consistent for four rounds. And to me, that meant that, um, and a lot of times it wasn't with great putting. Um, sometimes it was. And I think that, um, that was, those were steps in the right direction that just continue to build confidence. Um, well, I think certainly it's a threat to the PGA Tour. Um, I think as a player overall, it'll, it'll benefit in that I think that the changes that have come from the PGA Tour have been... Um, Modernized in a way to um, that that may may or may not have come about if it weren't there. So I think as for us players on the PGA Tour, I think that um, so far you know it's been something that has kind of helped the PGA Tour sit and say, hey, we're you know where can we look to to satisfy our membership and and potentially um, make some some changes going forward that uh, where there are some similarities potentially to a league like that, but um, while maintaining kind of the the integrity, the um, you know the 501c6 you know category that the PGA Tour has, um, and I think that going forward, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll have to see. Um, but for me to sit here and I mean, I can only say from my point of view, I think that it's been beneficial to the players to have competition and I think the tour would say that you know they probably feel that they're um, in a better position going forward by having to sit back and kind of take a look at things and, and make some changes. Uh, yeah, I could actually pinpoint an exact time frame where I thought, wow, things are seem to be getting off and I'm not really sure how to fix it. Um, and then there was just, you know, years of, a couple years of just, um, misdirection I think and uh, and then I can also pinpoint the exact time frame where I really felt like I started to turn around and go the right direction so it's um, it's interesting uh, and I hope that I can just continue on the trend I'm on I really thought last year um, was it if I if you told me what last year was going to be at this this time last year I would have said um, you know I'm obviously very pleased but I can also look back and say, I really wish I had won three or four, three or four events, given the amount of times I had a chance on Sunday. So um, that's a, and it was just, you know, just trying to be a little bit sharper, scoring clubs and just misses being a little tighter, and um, and just making a few more putts on Sunday and um, stuff I've done in the past. Just 
trying to, to get back to where um, when in those positions I can capitalize more often this year. If there's one thing that defines this era of players, these young players, I was going to say in their 20s, but some of them have crested the age of 30 and early 30s at that. It's the fact that they are generally, when you, when you think about Jordan, when you think about Rory, JT, many of them, uh, John Rahm, they're very forthcoming. You ask them a question, they give you an answer. They, they tell you what they're thinking and generally put a lot of thought into their answers as well. I would say Rory and Jordan probably the most in terms of how cerebral they get in, in, in terms of what their, what their answers are to their respective questions. It's a very unique era. I guess the, the question therein is that how does this era compare to former eras? Not necessarily just in terms of press conferences and knowledge and how well we get to know them. You know, the segment we did in yesterday's show with the social media is illustration of that. But I just mean in terms of performance against the ultimate standards. You know, are we in a golden era right now? What are the golden eras of golf? That, that'd be an interesting thing to talk about in today's show. Maybe we'll have time to get to that as well. As you can see, notables in the field at Century Tournament champions are on your television screen right now. For those of you on the radio side, uh, Matsuyama, Cantlay, DeChambeau, Finau, Kepka, Rom, Reed, uh, Daniel Berger, JT Mickelson is there. Yep, back after 21 years. Hovland, Morikawa, Xander Spieth, all amongst those in the field. As far as press conference schedules go today, which is an indication, uh, an appetizer as to what content we'll have from these players tomorrow. Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Justin Thomas, all scheduled to address the media coming up today. PGA Tour Superstore is the presenting sponsor of the Fairways of Life show. We are incredibly proud to be associated with the number one golf retailer in America. I'm sure you're seeing all the news about new product that is starting to be introduced into the marketplace. We're going to have much more details on those products in the coming days here in the Fairways of Life show to let you know what might be right for you and your game. However, what's right for you and your game, surely you're going to be able to find it at the PGA Tour Superstore. I think a great place to get started is at PGATourSuperstore.com. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Century Tournament of Champions, get you ready for the coverage, and that will include giving you the air times, how, when, and where. You can see it on television, you can see it online, and you can hear it on radio. Stay with us. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. Let's face it, there's no better feeling than getting new golf gear, and where you get your golf gear matters. PGA Tour Superstore is America's number one golf retailer. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. And you can get custom fit. You can shop online or safely in their stores. At the PGA Tour Superstore, you'll always find golf's biggest brands and all the latest equipment right at your fingertips. If you need it or want it, they've got it. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com to upgrade your game today. 
Ireland is home to over 400 courses, including a third of the world's natural links and a selection of exceptional championship courses in amazing locations, as well as hosting the prestigious Ryder Cup, Solime Cup, and the Open. Experience golf like you never have before from Royal Port Rush, Royal County Down, Port Marnock, Lahinch, Valley Bunyan, or Tralee. Let yourself be embraced by the culture and history and feel the warmth of the Irish people who will make you feel as though you have not left home, but returned to it. For more information, log on to Ireland.com. The Fairways of Life show is live every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and the Fairways of Life apps. We'll take you inside of the game with interviews, news, discussion, instruction, travel, equipment. You'll get it all and so much more. Join us on one of our fan trips to a dream destination, or maybe you'll even win some new golf clubs as part of our monthly giveaways. Download the Fairways of Life apps and subscribe on YouTube now. It's free, live, and 24-7 on demand. No limits, no cost. Just golf. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. Created without the constraints of time or money, PXG Golf Clubs are the most technologically advanced available today, and they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. And the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know, PXG, nobody builds golf clubs the way we do, period. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show on this Wednesday. Coming up, I'm going to give you the airtimes of how, when, and where you can catch your coverage of the Century Tournament of Champions, and that includes the television broadcast on Golf Channel, on NBC, PGA Tour Live's schedule, as well as PGA Tour Radio schedule, so that you know where you can see it, how you can see it that suits your particular schedule and means of transmit. So the Century Tournament of Champions, some information behind the tournament to get you ready for everything kicking off tomorrow. And I love the fact, and you're going to see it in just a moment, that it will be in prime time. This is the 70th Century Tournament of Champions. This year marks the 24th time the tournament will be held at the Plantation Course at the Kapalui Resort. Uh, the event was first played in 1953, was won by Al Besselink uh, at Desert Inn Country Club in Las Vegas. The Tournament of Champions was played in Vegas for 16 years, from 1953 to 1968, before it was moved to La Costa Resort in Carlsbad, California. It was held there from 1969 to 1998. The event moved to Hawaii in 1999. The Tournament of Champions was held in early January since 1986. Before that, it had been in mid-April to early May on the calendar. Prior to the beginning of the PGA Tour's wraparound schedule in 2013-2014, this event was the Tour's traditional season opener as it kicked off the golf year for the 27 of 28 seasons from 1986 to 2013. The only exception that span was 2001 when the PGA Tour opened with the World Golf Championships Match Play Championship in Australia before moving on to Hawaii. After having uh, a scheduled Monday finish in 2012 to 2015, 
The event, once again, has a scheduled Sunday finish for the seventh consecutive year. That was, of course, because of of football during those years. They didn't want to have have caused people to have to make a choice, which I thought was pretty smart. But but obviously, they must have taken a look at numbers and said, similar to what Mike Wan told us when he was commissioner of the LPGA, being on the air on a weekend even if it's up against the world, is still better ratings than if it's on on a Monday. Just interesting. Uh, The field for the 22 Century Tournament Champions. It's limited to winners of the PGA Tour events in 2021 calendar year and to the winner of the gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. This year marks a return to the winners-only format of Tournament of Champions. For the first time ever in 2021, the Century Tournament of Champions was not limited to PGA Tour winners from the previous calendar year as a result of changes to the PGA Tour calendar in 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. Any player who finished in the top 30 in the 1920 FedEx Cup standings, they were also invited to compete at Kapalua. And as a result, 16 players who did not win in 2020 appeared in the tournament in 2021, including the winner, Harris English defending champion. As of this morning, 39 of 40 eligible players are competing in the tournament. Rory McIlroy, the only qualified player not scheduled to compete currently. Get this. The field consists of eight of the top 10 players in the world. Again, this is part of the reason why I'm so excited. It's golf, and I'm excited about golf getting underway again, but also because of the quality and depth of field. Eight of the top 10 players in the world rankings, including number one, John Rahm, who you heard from earlier on the show. Number two, Colin Morikawa. Number four, Patrick Cantlay. Number five, Bryson DeChambeau. Number six, Xander Shoffley. Number seven, Victor Hovland. Number eight, uh, Justin Thomason, number 10, Sam Burns. Sam Burns is top 10 in the world. Number three, Dustin Johnson. He's not eligible. Number nine, Rory McIlroy, as I mentioned to you, has opted out. The field has won a combined 202 PGA Tour titles to date. There are six former winners in the field, including five who have won at Kapalua Harris English. Defending champion Justin Thomas two times in 20 and 17. Xander Shoffley in 19. Jordan Spieth in 16. Patrick Reed in 15. Phil Mickelson back in 98-94. Both of those at La Costa that I noted to you earlier in this event's long history. The top six players in this season's FedEx Cup standings, including points leader Taylor Gooch, are also in the field. Eight of the top ten players in the current FedEx Cup standings are in the field, with only Matthew Will seventh ineligible and McElroy tied for ninth, as I mentioned, choosing not to be there. Eleven major champions are playing. Sink, DeChambeau, Glover, Kepka, Matsuyama, Mickelson, Morikawa, Rahm, Reed, Spieth, Thomas. All major champions, all in the field, Kind of goes to what I was talking about in the last segment about are we in a golden era right now? Limited field, and you have that many, more than a third of the field, are major champ. The the youngest player in the field, 22-year-old Garrick Higo. The oldest player is 51-year-old Phil Mickelson. 18 players are in their 20s. 17 are in their 30s. Three are in their 40s. And, of course, one in his 50s. Nine of the 39 competitors are first-time participants, 23% of the field. Phil Mickelson, speaking of the oldest player in the field, is playing in the Tournament Champions for the first time since 2001. He first played in 1992 and won the event when it was played at La Costa, as I mentioned, in 1994 for the first time. 
This is his ninth appearance overall. He's won it twice. I should reiterate again. And just the third time he is playing at Kapalua. He had a tie for 22nd in 1999, a tie for 28th in 2001. Very diff- different uh, golf course than he played then. I mean, tee to green topography is going to be similar. But remember, Corin Crenshaw came back in. Uh, this is the third event that we've had since they went in and touched up the golf course anew. Defending champion, as I mentioned, is Harris English. Seven players have won this event in consecutive years. Two of them at this venue. Stuart Appleby did it in 2004-2006. Jeff Ogilvie did it in 2009-2010. Jack Nicholas has the most wins with five in the event in 63, 64, 71, 73, and 77. Four players have three wins each. Gene Littler, Arnold Palmer, Tom Watson, and of course Stuart Appleby. Littler from 1955 to 1957 at the Desert Inn Country Club. Appleby, as I mentioned, back-to-back here. Uh, they're, they're the only players that have consecutive victories. Other notable winners of the tournament champions include Sam Snead in 1961, Arnold Palmer three times, 62, 65, 66, Gary Player two times in 69 and 78, Johnny Miller in 1974, Lee Trevino in 81, Mickelson, as I mentioned, two times in 94, 98, Tiger in 97 and 2000, Ernie Els, 2003, Vijay Singh in 2007. Keep some of those names in your mind because, again, it's a road that I want to go down here on the Fairways of Life show. First of all, let's take a look at air times for the Century Tournament of Champions so you know how, when, and where. You can see the coverage. You can catch it on Golf Channel starting Thursday at 6 p.m. All these times are Eastern. It will run from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday on Friday, and on Saturday. On Sunday, it's split between Golf Channel and NBC. 4 to 6 p.m. on NBC, then it switches over to Golf Channel from 6 p.m. I realize you've got a lot of stuff to work around in terms of all the sports that are available to you, but at least golf is available in prime time if you're watching dedicated or switching back and forth. PGA Tour live coverage. Remember, please remember, PGA Tour Live is now on ESPN Plus. Just started with this week. Coverage from Thursday from 3.15 up until 6 p.m. That's a featured group coverage. Remember, they have multiple channels now as well. And then from 6 to 10 p.m. featured whole coverage. Tomorrow or Friday, the same schedule. 3.15 to 6 p.m. featured groups. 6 p.m. starting featured holes. Same on Saturday, 3.15 start with featured groups, 6 p.m. featured holes. Two different channels, all available in ESPN+. Plus. Sunday, from 1.30 p.m., two hours earlier, almost, uh, featured group coverage. And then at 4 p.m. will be the start two hours earlier of the featured hole coverage. That is PGA Tour Live's coverage. And again, you can find that on ESPN+. Plus. PGA Tour Radio, which is available on the PGA Tour app. It's available on PGATour.com. Both of those accesses work all over the world. Both of them are free. If you pay for a satellite service in North America, Sirius XM, you can hear it there as well. It starts Thursday and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, okay? Thursday and Friday, pre-cut, 4 p.m., Saturday at 5, Sunday at 3 on the radio side for PGA Tour Radio. The Fairways of Life show is presented in part by PXG. If you log on to PXG.com, you can see all of their new product lines in the Gen 4 that they have all kinds of technology packed in these new clubs. And as you know, their, their famed fitting process to make sure that the clubs that you buy are perfect for you and perfect 
for your game. You're going to invest a lot in golf equipment. That's just the nature of the game right now. Why not invest in the very best? Uh, PXG.com is a great place to get started. If you want to talk to someone today, you can call 844-PLAY-PXG. When we come back, why not? Let's go down this road about golden eras and where they fit. And are we in one right now? Huh, Ridgeback. Ridgeback, that's pretty cool. So it's a brace for the face. Ridgeback, like the dog. I'm I'm really a cat guy. So what is it? The best feeling and longest metal woods you'll ever hit. Is that Bernhard? Oh, great, Langer. (laughs) You know why I play Tour Edge? Because I win with it. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. Created without the constraints of time or money, PXG Golf Clubs are the most technologically advanced available today. And they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. And the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know. PXG. Nobody builds golf clubs the way we do. Period. Here at Boyne Golf, each course tells its own story about friends, about challenges, about unforgettable moments. This is Michigan's Magnificent Ten. Golf as pure as it gets. The Fairways of Life show is live every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on YouTube and the Fairways of Life apps. We'll take you inside of the game with interviews, news, discussion, instruction, travel, equipment. You'll get it all and so much more. Join us on one of our fan trips to a dream destination or maybe you'll even win some new golf clubs as part of our monthly giveaways. Download the Fairways of Life apps and subscribe on YouTube now. It's free, live, and 24-7 on demand. No limits, no cost, just golf. Even though we're in Texas, we don't believe that bigger is always better. At Ben Hogan Golf, we believe in something called micromanufacturing, a concept Mr. Hogan taught us long ago. It's a belief that handcrafting golf clubs one at a time to your exacting specifications is the reason we make some of the best quality and best performing equipment in the world. And we don't believe in big prices. That's why we only sell directly to you at BenHoganGolf.com. Let's face it, there's no better feeling than getting new golf gear, and where you get your golf gear matters. PJ Tour Superstore is America's number one golf retailer. Whatever you're looking for, they have it. And you can get custom fit. You can shop online or safely in their stores. At the PJ Tour Superstore, you'll always find golf's biggest brands and all the latest equipment right at your fingertips. If you need it or want it, they've got it. Log on to PGATourSuperstore.com to upgrade your game today. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show. Absolute delight to have your company from wherever you are joining us on this day. So I've been putting some thought into the Fairways of Life show. Absolute delight eras in the game of golf and golden eras in the game of golf. And the reason why to work backwards to this point was because I think that we're in a golden era right now. But before we can discuss that in fairness, I think think it has to start with 
well, what are the eras that we're comparing it to? When were there other golden eras in the game of golf? To me, the first golden era for the game of golf was old and young Tom Morris. Now, between them, they each won four opens. But was what was so distinctive between those two players in particular was that they literally redefined the game. Now, old Tom wasn't the first professional golfer. That would be Alan Robertson, who he worked for out of St. Andrews. But old Tom brought it to a level that clearly no one before him had ever done, whether it was Alan Robertson or any other, the, the pros uh, around Scotland. I'm talking about not only being the keeper of the greens, uh, St. Andrews, Presswick, what have you, but the designs that he did, the way that he played, the longevity of his career, frankly, the longevity of his life. He outlived uh, in some sense, I guess, tragically, all of his sons. Uh, then there was young Tom Morris. And although he was taken at only 24 years old, young Tom Morris was distinctive because young Tom Morris literally changed the way the game of golf was played. Now, yes, this did have a lot to do with the gutter perch golf ball where but prior to for much of old Tom Morris's career, although he played the gutty too, uh, he was playing a feathery golf ball. In a feathery golf ball, you took leather and you took these pieces of leather and you started to sew them together. You took boiled goose feathers and you jam them into this leather pouch, sew it up and let it dry. And it would dry and it would be extremely hard. But then consider the fact that no matter how hard this leather got, you're still playing golf in Scotland, predominantly in this conversation. And in that case, what would that what would happen to that leather pouch in wet conditions? And in particular, what would happen to that leather pouch if you played an iron? Reason why irons are called irons instead of steels or forgings is because they were made of iron and iron would crack that leather. It would it would rip it apart. So they generally only used irons for, you know, hitting out of ruts and things of that nature. What what young Tom did with with the with the new gutty is he perfected the use of irons. He literally was the first, if you will, modern golfer in terms of how he approached the game and he shot scores that no one had ever seen before, blew fields away and was able to do things with the golf ball that other people were not. It was just an incredible level of talent and defined that first golden era. It, you know, young Tom was so aware of his skills and I guess you would you could say his marketability that he would make sure that he had something in the offing just for showing up. You know, because golf in those days used to be betting games by and large. And he was that much of an attraction. Incredible time. From there, I would define... The next era, the next golden era, that of the great triumphant, when you have uh, J.H. Taylor and James Braid and and Harry Varden. Uh, To this day, Harry Varden has more wins in the open than anyone uh, with six. It's interesting, though, that J.H. Taylor and Braid, they they also had five. They were only one behind him. And they ushered, again, a new, uh, how do you define golden eras? Because they're bigger than just the players. They reverberate beyond them. And what Varden did in terms of he was critically important in spreading the game, you could say worldwide, but I'm talking specifically in the United States. He did multiple tours of the United States where he would come over and he'd play exhibitions and and with Ted Ray, with one of them, who was the first uh, Ryder Cup captain for GB&I. And when he would come over 
it would be really big news. It made it, a lot of people pay attention to golf at a time that was pretty much just seen as a very, very elite game. In 1913, when he lost alongside of Ted Ray to Francis We Met at the same venue for this year's U.S. Open, uh, the Country Club in Brookline, when he lost to young Francis We Met, it became above-the-fold news. It was that big and helped spread it. Now, Harry Varden also had his own golf ball, name and his own golf ball anyways, the Varden Flyer. All of this contributed to the growth of the game, not to mention, here I am talking about his six major championships just at the Open. He also won a U.S. Open as well. From there, the next era that I would go to, because if you looked at that span that I just gave you, uh, the great triumphant won 16 of 21 Opens during a span from 1894 to 1914. 16 of 21. Well, let's focus on 1914 for a second. 1914 saw the emergence. He came very close in that playoff at Brookline, but didn't break through. 1914 was the start of Walter Hagen. And when you had that golden era of Hagen, who all time is still third on the most wins in major championships. You realize that with 11? And he played most of his golf before the Augusta National Invitational later to become the Masters even existed. That's how good this guy was. And he traveled. He took his game to Europe. He won multiple times with the Open. It it was an amazing story. But he happened to exist at the same time competitively as one Bobby Jones, who won seven major championships by modern definition of majors, by the definition of the majors at the time, which would have included the British amateur and the U.S. amateur. He won 13. That's why that number of 13 was so important later generations, and these bridges exist, to Jack Nicklaus. When he won 14 majors, he was very aware of the fact that he just eclipsed Bobby Jones, his hero. Right? And then you have the story about Tiger Woods with the, with the yellow sheet on his wall as a kid with Jack Nicklaus's accomplishments. That was his milestone. Think about this for a second. The third, and, and I think that era, which would have taken you through the, through the mid-teens, late-teens, and 20s, right up to, obviously, 1930, when Jones won his, his Grand Slam, would have been Gene Sarazen, the squire, uh, and everything that he accomplished in, in his long life that he lived until the middle uh, 1990s. Just in, absolutely incredible. From there, again, and you find these bridges, I'm going to jump ahead to three that were born the same year in 1912. Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, and Byron Nelson. Can you think of three players that have had as much impact on the game? There'll be plenty of choices that that you can make and what I've already told you and what I will tell you, but certainly these stand out. Incredible. Uh, Hagen, or Hogan, I should say, nine times a major champion. Six of those nine majors were after his near fatal car accident. And his name is coming up often in discussion about Tiger Woods. How much is he going to be able to play after the car accident? What type of schedule can he adopt? Even Tiger is invoking the name of Ben Hogan and using him as an example of something that he can do. Uh, Sam Snead won seven major championships. Distinctively, talking about Tiger as well, Sam Snead and Tiger are tied for the all-time wins on tour. Uh, Nelson won five times. Remember that... Byron Nelson actually retired early from the game, but he was so consummate, so good. Think about 1945 when he won 11 in a row and 18 wins in one year. And a lot of people will say, wait a minute, 1945, weaker fields, et cetera. By the time he went on his run, 
Hogan was back. Sneed was back. So there are people that, that diminish or disparage the accomplishments of Byron Nelson in that one particular season, but they don't know the full story. He was that good. He did have stomach issues that he was under a lot of stress, obviously, through that run. What he really wanted was to make enough money to buy a ranch in Texas and to be able to settle down. Uh, it was interesting because we were told that because he was, as the players called it, a bleeder, uh, that he wasn't able to serve and that he apparently wasn't treated very well by some of the other players when they came back from serving in the Second World War. And we were told that that contributed to driving him off the tour. I just thought it was a fascinating observation uh, that that we were given on, on why Byron Nelson did what he did. It's just more food for thought in that whole mix. But I'll tell you about how good Byron Nelson was. He was on vacation in France one time, and it was the week of the French Open. He was like, eh, why not? Might as well enter. He entered and he won. From there, the next golden era to me was a very distinctive one because of, because of the introduction of television during the same. And it would be the era of Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, and Jack Nicholas. Now, I start with Arnold Palmer because Arnold Palmer was the matinee idol. When television discovered golf in 1956, it was right during the start. Remember, he turned professional in 1954 uh, when Arnold Palmer was there with that twinkle in his eye and, and that it factor that was so uniquely his own. There wasn't a flag in the game of golf that Arnold Palmer was afraid to go after, and he connected so well with everyone everywhere. Arnie's Army, as they called himself. Arnie served uh, in the National Guard. He was alongside in those early days. They used to call him the Big Three, and I do think it's interesting that as I define these eras, so many of them have three primary players that at least we're noting, in fairness. Uh, Gary Player was one of them from South Africa that, that absolutely scratched and clawed his way uh, into the game of golf, and he's tied with Ben Hogan with nine major championship wins all time. It's interesting if on the street, if you ask people who has more majors, Arnold Palmer or Gary Player, many would pick Arnold Palmer. Palmer with seven and Player with nine, again tied with with uh, Ben Hogan. Now, then you get Jack Nicklaus. And I think in fairness, when you're talking about golden eras, you could define the Nicholas era standing alone from 1962 uh, when he beat Palmer for the U.S. Open in Palmer's backyard at, at Oakmont in a playoff, uh, that was when he was getting catcalls of Fat Jack and, and what have you. And he just showed his mettle, he showed his concentration, he showed his ferocity, and he won that playoff all the way up to 1986 when he won the Masters. That is so distinctive, one of the high points of all time in the game of golf. And so Jack Nicholas, though, played during a time, 18 major championships, 18. 19 times he came in second in major championships. Think about this for a second. And yet he played during a time that I, I look upon as basically a bar fight. You had all these self-made players from, again, Palmer, player that he, that he battled with, Billy Casper that he battled with along the way, and the emergence of players like Ray Floyd or Lee Trevino, who won four of his six major championships head-to-head against Jack Nicklaus. But that wasn't it. Johnny Miller, Tom Weiskopf, the emergence of Tom Watson, all during that era when Jack Nicklaus was winning major championships. Some of them, like namely uh, Tom Watson, continued to win 
after uh, Jack Nicholas was at his prime in terms of his tear, but 86 goes a long ways. It's just so incredible in terms of that golden era. I think if I had to pick the golden era of golf, it would probably be that one because of the amount of major champions that were competing and playing all at the same time. Go back and look through your history books for the 1981 United States Ryder Cup team. And yes, we can look back on the team now in terms of their total accomplishment of those players retired because of what they accomplished in terms of major championships and total wins. But even when you saw them on the front end, it was daunting to face that much ability on the United States Ryder Cup team from 1981. From there, I would go to, it was kind of a a between era. And this isn't to take away from any of those players. It's just that there wasn't a player that was dominant by using the highest standard of the game being major championships. I guess you could say from, you could measure it other ways. Uh, Weeks at world number one, just as an example with Greg Norman. But I think most fans would judge, it'd be be like judging uh, the best baseball team by anything other than World Series or the best football teams by anything other than winning Super Bowls. And that is what the equivalent is of majors in the game of golf. So this, this era when... Nick Faldo had six major championships. Seve had five. Nick Price had three. They're not the only ones. There's others in that era that I that I could mention. But it was it was. I I don't know whether I would call that era a golden era, but that's how that era was defined. The next era I would call a golden era, and it started in 1997. Tiger Woods. I was waiting for people at home going Tiger Woods. You're you're correct. Tiger Woods from 1997. Now there were others during the Tiger era that were so incredibly, Dom's laughing at my headset because Tiger was so dominant in his era, 15 major championships to date so far, that he stood alone in terms of its definition. There were other great players playing during that time. Phil Mickelson has eventually amassed five major championships, winning just uh, last year with his fifth. Uh, Vijay Singh with three, Ernie Els with four, etc. It is interesting that when you talk again about Phil Mickelson or Ernie Els, their latter wins, like the, like Ernie's last major at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's, Tiger did not play well. He wasn't playing well during that stretch. And Phil winning just last year, obviously five, Tiger wasn't playing at that time, uh, recovering his sixth, I beg your pardon, I think I said five, it was his sixth uh, uh, major championship win as I'm getting ahead of myself with all of these numbers. And so the reason why I'm, I'm noting that to you is that, yes, there were great players that went up against Tiger Woods, but he was so far ahead, so distinctive, he stands alone in his definition of the era. Where would I end that era? I would generally end that era around 2008, 2009. And I may be even too generous in, in going that far. In terms of accomplishments of Tiger Woods, I already talked to you about his total wins. I talked to you about his major championship uh, victories. The, the thing to me that stands out as being incredibly distinctive by Tiger Woods, and there are many things, but the, the thing that stands out as incredibly distinctive that doesn't get the credit it deserves in fairness in my mind is the fact that he had all four major championships on his mantle at the same time. I think that accomplishment was at least as distinctive as what Bobby Jones did in 1930 when he won his Grand Slam. Because when Tiger did it, he was doing it against only professional fields that were deep and that were stout. And he still did it. I don't know why some in golf media or golf historians 
want to diminish the accomplishment by saying, oh, but it wasn't in the same calendar year. It was four consecutive major championships. Four all at the in a row on, sitting atop his mantle place. From there, we go to today's stars. And I think we're in a modern golden era. If you look at and again, how will you define this, Matty? I'm, I'm defining it by the number of major champions, the number of major championships they own currently relative to their age, the number of wins that they have overall, the depth of players relative to the same, and I guess the lack, because again, you're, you're now trying to compare errors. How do you compare the errors? One way I think you could do it is, is by looking at World Golf Hall of Fame members. Who's likely to make the Hall of Fame from the current era and how does that compare? What does that say, again, about the depth of the player and thus the, the ability of the players at the very top of the game today? Uh, if, if, uh, again, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, Rory McIlroy with, with four major championships to his name. A Dustin Johnson is too, but he has 24 wins on the PGA Tour. Lock. Lock for the World Golf Hall of Fame. No doubt. Obviously, Rory's already a lock for the World Golf Hall of Fame. Brooks Kepka is a lock for the Hall of Fame. Jordan Spieth is a lock for the Hall of Fame. You see where I'm going in terms of going down these roads? Colin Morikawa already has two major championships to his name. Uh, so there's those that are close. Because basically the guideline right now is rough is 15 wins. For example, Adam Scott is 14 in a major, but he also won the players, right? And the players is one of the considerations. Yeah, Dom just said to me, European tour wins as well count towards that. I think Adam Scott has, how many, how many additional wins does he have outside the PGA Tour? Is it like 30, Dom, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, he has, I think he has 31 professional wins. I can't remember how many of those are on the European tour, but he obviously has 14 on the PGA tour. Yep. But yeah, the, the Hall of Fame's criteria allows for 15 essentially professional registered victories. So a lot of these guys, while they might only have like Henrik Stenson only has six wins on the PGA tour and a major, but he has like 20 plus professional wins, you know, including the players, Ryder yep. Cup teams. I mean, these are players that are likely going to be in the Hall of Fame, man. It's amazing when you look at it, uh, you know, and I can, well, let's go down this road for a second. Uh, Jason Day, 12 PGA Tour wins, one major championship. He's also won the players, but because he's from Australia, he's done a lot of international playing, uh, 33 wins overall. Bubba Watson, uh, will he make it or not just because of his age, et cetera? He's won 12 times with two major championships, 42 wins overall. Sergio Garcia has a uh, 42 uh, is his age as well. Sergio Garcia has 11 with one major championship, 36 professional wins. I think Sergio is going to get in if for no other reason than because of what he's done uh, on the Ryder Cup. So there's, there's so many different criteria. Then you've got players that you can look at it and go, is it safe to say at this time that it's likely? Justin Thomas has 14 PGA Tour wins and a major championship. And Justin Thomas has also uh, won the players. So what could happen with that? Believe it or not, Patrick Reed is a nine-time winner on tour with a major championship 
to his credit. I already told you, Brooks Kepka, even though he doesn't have a lot of total wins, his wins in major championships are enough to thrust him into the World Golf Hall of Fame. So there's a uh, Bryson DeChambeau. He's won eight times on the PGA Tour. Obviously a major championship. Would you look at it right now, if you, if you could put a bet down on it, because sports betting is so big nowadays. If you could bet for whatever amount of time, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, will Bryson DeChambeau, now it'd be more like 20 years, will Bryson DeChambeau get into the World Golf Hall of Fame? Would you bet against it, seriously, with where he's at right now? Uh, Colin Morikawa already with two major championships. And then there's there's other players like, I'm just going to throw another name out there that seems miles away from it until you start to look behind the scenes. Xander Shoffley. You go, okay, no majors, no players, no wins, four. But wait a minute. Xander Shoffley has played in 18 majors. He's come in second or a piece of second nine times. Is it gold medal too at the Olympics? How close is he? So, Tom, I, I'm going to jump back to you here just for a second because, and I'm not, I'm not trying to weigh today's era against those former ones, which are definitively, in my mind, defined as golden eras. All I'm saying is I think we're in a golden era right now. Yes, it has yet to define itself because you need years behind it to do that. But I think there's a really strong argument for how strong golf is right now. I would take it a step further, Matt, and say that uh, we are 100% in the golden era because I think, I think personally, that when you look back at this era in 30 years from now, you're going to see that there were 30 Hall of Famers playing simultaneously. At, I wouldn't say it necessarily at the height of their powers, but playing simultaneously. And I'm not sure that you can say that about those other eras that you mentioned because the depth wasn't quite there. I mean, to have 30-plus Hall of Famers at the same time competing in major championships, that's insane. Now, they're it not is. all Hall of Famers right now. Like, you were just going over that list, but I don't know, man. <laughs> There's a lot of names on that list, like Bryson DeChambeau. I, I find it real hard to believe he's not in the Hall of Fame, even though he doesn't have a Hall of Fame resume right now today. So... I, I just think we need to enjoy the moment. Sometimes it's hard to live in the moment and recognize the greatness while it's happening. And I think it's happening right now every weekend on the PGA Tour. Absolutely agree with that. Folks, thank you so much for joining us for the Fairways of Life show. It is always a pleasure to have your company. We look forward to sharing it with you again. Until we are together again, we wish you well and goodbye for now.